Welcome to Writer's Tricks of the Trade, sponsored by Writers of Southern Nevada. I'm Morgan St. James, and today's topic is mistakes that writers make. You know, sometimes it's what you aren't doing rather than what you are doing. So we're going to discuss both so that our listeners can avoid pitfalls that that could become pratfalls. And if you don't know what pratfalls are, they're those dramatic stumbling falls actors sometimes take in comedies. Okay, all right, take it. That's right. Those are the ones that look really silly. And on our last show, we talked about feedback from ideal first writers, critique groups, and we touched a little on writers' conferences. So I think most writers find as time goes on, the more workshops you attend and the more you interact with your editor or an editor, the more you'll, you're going to be amazed when errors and omissions you never were aware of before start jumping right out at you. In fact, I often wonder how I ever miss some of those goofs that I see in my own writing, and I promise you will too. Denny, what would you say are the three main categories of some of the goofs or omissions that uh, writers fall into? Well, I think, Eric, that the three of the most important ways for aspiring and even published authors to avoid making some of the mistakes are never stop learning, find a way to have your book, your excuse me, your work edited professionally, and remember the real work begins after you have your book in hand. So you can't afford to get lazy or complacent. Yeah, that's so true. It's uh, I, I know I made that mistake with my first book. I thought, well, it's done, and um, that's just the beginning. I think that's what Morgan was saying um, just a minute ago about sometimes being what you, it's important what you don't do rather than what you do. And to always keep a sense of of moving forward. Morgan, do you have any suggestions for keeping the fire lit, so to speak? Well, I've definitely found that prompts and reminders are helpful. You know, for years I had a Will Rogers quote tacked to my old multi-line telephone. The thing was a monster. I don't know if you remember those telephones. But what it said is even if you're on the right track, you'll get run over if you don't keep moving. And every time I thought about going off on a tangent, I'd glance at that typewritten reminder, and it kept me headed in the right direction. So now it's so ingrained in my mind, it's there even though I don't have the note anymore. But I do occasionally tweet it so other people are aware of it. And we've said this so many times, but I can't say it often enough. Whether you're with a traditional publisher or you're self-published, it's up to you to get the word out. Remember, no one's going to come knocking at your door and say, Hey, I just heard you published a book. Can I buy a copy? Uh, Most published authors will confirm that the real work begins when novices think it's over. And the reality is that setting up signings and other publicity saps every free moment. But it's imperative to make that call or send that email. Uh, Your book can be the greatest new one to come off the press, or in this case, you know, a digital book. But if no one knows about it, no one will buy it. And like Eric said, keep moving. That's right. That's an excellent example, Morgan. Let's talk about a few of the pitfalls that are looking out there waiting for the unsuspecting and even 
even experienced writers um, that we sometimes all fall into. So let's say you think you've created something so wonderful, even if there is a flaw here and there, how can any agent or editor or publisher fail to consider it a masterpiece? I mean, this is brilliant what you've put on the page, right? Why, I mean, there might even be a bidding war, right? That is a big mistake. When your manuscript has grammar, punctuation, and basic usage mistakes, word usage mistakes I'm talking about here, it raises a big red flag faster than you can say, but, but, but it's great, right? <laughs> but, you know, Eric, I've actually uh, heard beginning writers uh, sometimes say, hey, I don't need to be concerned with that punctuation and grammar stuff. Predators fix that, don't they? Oh my, yeah, well, so you're right. That is a huge mistake in bold red letters. An editor isn't going to fix anything that doesn't make it past the slush pile. Always put your best foot forward. I can't say it too many times. Proofread, proofread, proofread. And never, ever submit anything that isn't ready. Unless the help of others, maybe you have a friend who is an English whiz or an aunt who is adamant about punctuation. Just remember, glaring mistakes equal slush pile. Boy, they sure do. And, you know, speaking of punctuation, here's one of my favorite mistakes. It's one that editors spot right away, and that's the semicolon versus the comma. Here's a basic rule of thumb. Ask yourself if the part of the sentence set off by the comma can stand on its own. Does it have its own subject and verb? If so, use a semicolon. Or very often, depending upon the pace of the scene, it's even way better to opt for two separate sentences. Short, punchy sentences give the impression of fast-paced action. Uh, Some authors hate to use semicolons, and I have to admit I'm one of them. It always seems to slow things down, and you want the reader to keep reading, so I actually prefer M-dashes. They still have that feeling of motion, even though they set the two phrases off. Although it seems like a small thing, knowing the difference results in a more polished piece. Okay, Eric, your turn. While we're on punctuation, what do you have to contribute to this discussion? Well, let's um, let's just back up just a second. You know, you, you are an experienced writer, and you say M dashes, and that's E-M. There are two types yes. of dashes, right? There's the M dash and the N dash, E-N. Right. Do you want to describe quickly, Morgan, the difference between them, or do you want me to? I'd let you do it. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, <laughs> you it's, it's your the pet subject. Peeve. You get to do it. <laughs> no, you started it. You, 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 you started that up. <laughs> but the M dash, and I see this lots of times when I'm doing editing and, and especially in, in technical writing, an M dash is a little bit longer than a regular dash. And most keyboards don't have it as a standard um, key. You, you, or a lot, a lot don't. And, and it's not, two short dashes are not the same as a, a like hyphen dash. Like if you're saying, you know, Something is uh, what's a good example of a, of a um, post mortem. That's an N dash E N that's between the post and the mortem. An M dash, like Morgan is talking about, in place of a semicolon, 
or sort of to emphasize an action, which a lot of fiction writers use, I think, um, is a longer continuous dash. And um, you can find I'm it on I'm going to help you out here, Eric. You said that you can, it isn't on the keyboard, and it isn't. Um, where an inexperienced writer who doesn't know about M dashes can find it is you go to insert, and then you go to symbols, and right. generally it'll be under special symbols, and they'll have the M and the N. Right. And I, I believe in MS Word, although I don't have the latest version of MS Word, Alt-M is um, the, the hot link key to the M dash. So well, see, I said you never stop learning. I, knew, I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 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 um, that, that, that's how it is on my old uh, Windows 2000 version of Word, so our XP. But anyway, a, big, a, a mistake or red flag, um, another, another one is, is when authors don't match subjects with verbs. And, and that's another thing that, that can get real complicated when you have longer sentences. And like Morgan suggested, um, sometimes it's a good idea to make your sentences a little shorter. And then you, some of these errors, especially glaring errors, pop up. And I think, I think the matching of subject and verbs is one of them. Um, that's a big thing that editors zero in on, matching plural verbs with plural subjects and singular verbs with singular subjects is a real challenge sometimes when you have long sentences, but it's super important. <laughs> um, look at some of your work through the eyes of a stranger. That's always advice that, I, that you'll hear uh, writers give. And are you guilty of being what's called a mix master? And an easy test is a sentence something like this. Only one of the celebrities are accepting Carrie's invitation to a hot party. And when you think about that sentence, all you have to do is delete of the celebrities to see that are should have been is, because then it reads only one is accepting Carrie's invitation to a hot party. She must live in Hollywood if she's having a hot party. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> I I'd like to mention what I call the one wandering words pitfall. Now let me illustrate that with the word only. A good word to use as an example. While not a true mistake, it influences the feeling of a sentence or paragraph. Some words just wander through the manuscript instead of sticking like crazy glue to the word or words they apply to. Paired with syntax, which of course is the order of the words or phrases in the sentence, here is how it might show up. I've only written two of the seven articles so far. Now that could be a sign of frustration. And this happens so often, sometimes editors skip right over it. However, here are two better ways that also could be written. You, unless the speaker's frustration was what the author wanted to convey. Next example is, I've written only two of the seven articles so far. Now the speaker here is showing their progress and doesn't indicate frustration, or possibly better yet, so far I've written only two of the seven articles. Clearly indicates what the job is and what the progress is. As the word only moves around, so does the feeling of the sentence. That's an excellent point. Yeah, good examples, Denny. 
Um, here's another one of those grammatical mistakes, and this one is one of my favorites. Not because I love it, but because this word pops up everywhere, misused to the max. The definition of unique is, and always has been, one of a kind. If there was a unique detection squad, herefore known as the uh, UDS, you could probably make a fortune by issuing tickets for misusing unique. You see it in books and newspapers, radio, TV. You know, nothing is safe. Those modifiers lurk like burglars waiting to smash the window. Most unique, completely unique, absolutely unique. Ugh, absolutely unique. <laughs> well, <laughs> see that one I couldn't even stomach. How can something be absolutely unique? Well, I you know. get the picture. You know, if there's only one of this unique object or attitude, how can it be anything beyond unique? Avoid the possibility of making an editor grit their teeth. Don't use a modifier. Just say unique. And as one little point, I was listening to a TV newscast while I was eating my lunch today. And sure enough, the newscaster said, the most unique. There you go. (laughs) Yeah, that's an excellent example. We could probably do a whole show on tips for avoiding grammatical mistakes, huh? But I think I we need to talk about. Yeah, um, we should think about that. Maybe maybe do a little canvas to see if um, people would like to do that. Although it might might be a little frustrating. I think I think we need to also <laughs> talk about polishing your personality because there's nothing that will turn a potential reader off faster than a dull, boring, and and kind of flat toned presentation, and that and that includes on the page. Um, and 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 your style of writing, the pace of your writing. Well, sometimes it's very useful to get in touch with your outgoing, sort of playful self, and think like your ideal reader, like we talked about in the last show. And if that isn't you, if that ideal reader for what you're writing isn't exactly you, figure out how to reach out to that audience, and then do it. If you're an adult writing a book for children you better be thinking about what it is that's entertaining to children and using language that they will understand and respond to, right? The same is true if you're writing mystery, sci-fi, romance, or just about any other genre. You've got to get that tone of that genre down. I think audiobooks are a really good illustration of the point I'm trying to make here. A great narrator can be a ho-hum, can, can make a sort of ho-hum book sound really good. And a poor narrator, as I think any of us that have spent any time listening to audiobooks, we know that a poor narrator has the ability to completely ruin a good book. So my point is presentation on the page counts. It certainly does. And, you know, it's not just readings. You need to develop an engaging style for interviews, book signings, and networking events. Once you can project the aura of being an interesting person, even if you don't think you are, people will be drawn to you. So you need to strive to be able to talk about more than you and your books when you speak. Have enthusiasm in your voice. People will want to know about you and your work. Be sure to listen to what the other person has to say as well, particularly if you are participating on a panel. And here's a real mistake to watch out for. If someone relates a story or an incident or opinion, never say, 
if you think that's something, just listen to this. <laughs> you may not be aware of it, but you've just insulted that person. Yeah, I'll bet a lot of people never even think about things like that. Um, it, it not only is important for authors, I mean, it's important in general, you know, because when you do something like that, you minimize what the other person has said, and that's not very polite. Um, I have to admit, I used to do that myself sometimes. Not those exact words, but topping someone's story with one of mine. I mean, I've got so many stories that it seems like I have one for everything that anybody has said. So once I was made aware of it, I stopped doing that, I hope. Um, my advice is to engage your brain before you activate your mouth. <laughs> and <laughs> there's another one that says open mouth and insert foot. Uh, <laughs> and speaking of brain... <laughs> that brings me to learning. And anybody who's listened to me knows that I say this over and over, but I can never say it enough. Many make the mistake of thinking they've learned it all. This is a constantly changing world. And along with the publishing market, the reader's tastes are changing. You have to continually learn about both the craft and the business of writing. I maintain the attitude that there is always something new, something I haven't tried, wasn't aware of, or something I thought I knew only to find out how off-base or par partially informed I was. So my advice is to go to conferences, attend writers' groups, look for good critiques, but most of important, listen. When a writer asks for a critique, they should be open-minded, but so many aren't, and that's definitely a big mistake. If they don't like what they hear in a critique, instead of digesting what's been said, they adamantly defend that very thing to the death. You should always consider what a first reader or critique group has to say about your work. Then it's up to you to decide if it's valid or not. But don't immediately become defensive. I've seen that happen so many times. And that could be the difference between getting published and not. You know, maybe that advice was really, really good and right on point. That's true, and 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 also when when talking to an editor and or a, a potential agent, um, that that your personality is important to closing the deal. And if they find that you're defensive, even about just general basic things that as you're talking and, and negotiating and getting to know each other, they're going to assume that you're going to be like that down the road when it comes time to, you know, perhaps do a major rewrite of your of a section of your book or a particular character development. And no writer, no editor wants to get into that kind of relationship, combative relationship with, with a writer. Um, I think uh, I'm a big fan of Shark Tank personally, and, and I love <laughs> it when, when you see somebody come on, at, at, and it's so appropriate. My wife and I watch the show, and I just find it so appropriate. Um, when somebody will come on the show with a great idea and maybe even they've done, you know, some fairly decent sales and they're looking for one of the, uh, you know, multimillionaire investor sharks to, to come on board and join them. And the sharks will one by one go down the line and go, you know what, I love this idea, but you're not hearing what we're saying here. And one by one they all back out of the deal, even if it's a good product and it already has sales. Because they don't yeah, well, want to nobody wants. 
I was just going to say nobody wants to deal with somebody who's difficult. There are too many right. other people who are very eager to do what they have to do to get it out there. So why bother with somebody who's a mistake right. unless they've written such a blockbuster, you know, it'll sell like crazy? Well, even then, and 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 difficult. I think that there's a there's a fine line between difficult and defensive. And some people they're so close. And I know this as a writer. I've I've and and as a world traveler, I certainly in your position. Morgan, where the second time I got back from Europe, I know I, I was absolutely guilty of it. People would talk about things, whether it was hiking or a museum or something like that, and I'd be like, "Oh, I remember when I was in Paris." Blah 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 blah, and I was, you know, was completely overstepping what they were just talking about, and and it was that enthusiasm and joy of the trip that I had, and I think the same thing happens in your writing. You're so enthusiastic about your work that sometimes you're defensive about it, and that you don't intend to be difficult. But you put it really well. I'm just I'm kind of circling around the same the same <laughs> wagon here. Um, you, you've you've got to listen. You've got to listen. I think we've all been in critique groups where we hear we give advice or we hear advice given to a writer, and the writer immediately says, "Well, why they did that?" and 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 they don't listen to the critique. You know, they exactly. might have a reason for it in their head, but if the reader doesn't get it, the reader doesn't get it. And if you mentioned it in chapter 20 and you're on chapter 75 and the re- and the reader and your critique partner says, "I forgot about that. Maybe you should re-mention it <laughs> because there's been 55 chapters in between." Um, you need to hear that and not be defensive about it. But anyway, um, another mistake is using sub-quality materials to market yourself, and I've also been guilty of this myself. Um, so was kind of I. Do it yourself. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe we all have. But you know, and and by this I mean like the do-it-yourself business cards and sort of the Mickey Mouse bookmarks and just poor presentation packages in general to uh, media outlets and and or writers conferences and that you're trying to be a part of. And if you have a website, you certainly don't want it to be full of errors or way too much information so that it winds up looking like something, you know, an elementary school student did. Although <laughs> I got to back up and say, you know, probably a lot of, I mean, elementary school kids are doing some amazing things now. They're so tech savvy that it blows my mind. And um, I was th- I'm actually thinking about sort of having my website revamped by this 16-year-old <laughs> um, whiz because they you know they grew up with multimedia they it's just, it's sec, it's it's first nature to them you know because they never you know they they're younger so but anyway um there's so many free aids around that right now that people really need to take advantage of them and if you're not computer savvy find a friend who can help you um there's ex- excellent blog sites like WordPress and Blogspot or Wix, that's W-I-X, that offer free software and platforms that are easy to learn and to use. And look at other sites of other authors that you like and figure out what it is that you like about them and copy them. And then don't forget to get professional business cards printed, not the flimsy pull-apart sheets where inkjet, or inkjet printer ink can 
smear across your business card the minute it gets touched by a finger. You know, can you I remember. interject one? Sure. I want to interject one thing. There was one time when I was going to a conference, and by this point I was having professional business cards printed all the time. But I ran out of business cards, and I needed something quick, and I went to a popular company, I won't mention the name, that's advertising constantly, you know, 50 business cards for 7.95 or whatever it is. And so I thought, well, listen, I can get these in a couple of days, and I really need them for this conference. And you know what? They came in so crummy looking that I threw out the entire 50 cards. So always wow. be discriminating in what your business materials are because they speak for you. Right. Your materials speak for you. That's absolutely correct. Uh, you know, I'd like to uh, follow up on the conference uh, issue and, and attending conferences and, and your conduct. And then when I finish that, I'd like to talk for a minute about book signings and an experience I had. But if you're attending a conference and happen to bump into one of the agents or editors in the restroom during the break, don't immediately start your pitch. <laughs> It can be somewhat awkward, and it's an intrusion on their privacy, certainly. Yeah. Um, uh, granted, they're there to hear pitches, but not necessarily in the restroom. But anyway, use good sense as to what and how much to say. Maybe just say something like, uh, hey, I really enjoyed your presentation, or would it be okay if I send you something and, and reference this conference? That will get the message across. you got something for them or something you want them to hear, without uh, being uh, too intrusive, if you will. Um, now, if I can just talk a minute about signings we uh, that was mentioned earlier, and this, I think, qualifies, as, at least to me, as a mistake I made. <clears throat> Excuse me. I was so enthused with my first book that I really had, as I think Eric mentioned earlier, you know, hey, it's, it's done and... Uh, all I got to do is, is wait to be contacted by by the bookstores and this and that, and everything's everything's finished, and that certainly is not the case. And I thought if I could get a book signing at the time, Borders was still open, um, and, of course, Barnes & Noble, I said I could just see myself in the chair at, at the Borders of Barnes & Noble with a line stretching out into the parking lot <laughs> and me sitting there with books piled up to the ceiling, uh, wondering if I'd have enough and, you know, how many pens would I go through signing my name? Should I personalize them or just give a signature? I had all these things going through my mind and I said, uh, you know, this is going to be it. People are, Denny Griffin's going to burst on the scene. Well, let me tell you, uh, I found out first, my first book uh, was self-published. I found out that in order to get in the Barnes & Noble, the, the local store I had, that they only did self-published authors uh, about twice a year. And I was, you weren't quite up to uh, up there with a, uh, a legitimately, what they considered apparently legitimately published author at that time, and that was 20 years ago almost. But um, So that, that kind of crushed me a little bit, but I says, well, okay, you know, if that's the best I can get, I'll do it. And then I found out the day of the, they had four or five of us self-published at the same uh, same signing. They did absolutely zero advertisement. We sat there, the four or five of us, kind of talking to each other. People would come and look, 
but they didn't know if we were having a private meeting or if this was a book study. They didn't really know why we were there. And, uh, and they would go on about their business. And now you've got five authors or so all trying to sell a book or two. Plus, because they were self-published, they, they would uh, it was only a, uh, a deal where we had to split. Like I think it was a 70-30 split of anything we sold. It had to be split with the bookstore. So uh, I left that day. I sold one book, and that was to a friend of mine, a friend of mine who happened <laughs> to be there. And um, so I, re- I I debated actually quitting writing at that time. I was so hurt and so crushed realizing that I had uh, put too much stock in uh, in the signing business. And um, over the years since then, I only do signings anymore now if it's if it's in conjunction with the presentation where they put where the bookstore would put out some advertisement and I would talk about my book, do a Q and A session with a signing to follow. And that that's just the way it works for me because it's I find that when I've, I've done it that way, I don't have anywhere near the waste of time. I don't have anywhere near the uh the frustration of going through one of these other um scenarios where the bookstore doesn't do any promotion at all. And uh, and leaves everything. I, I realize you got to do a lot of your own promotion, but if it's a bookstore event, I'd like to see a little help from the bookstore as well. So anyway, I, I made a big mistake in not studying up in advance, not learning in advance the marketing end of it and the things authors run into trying to market themselves and trying to do these signings. I wasn't prepared for what happened to me. And and I almost gave up on writing because of it. So, again, learn, do your research, know what you might experience, and look out for the pitfalls. Try to work around them or do uh, take action to eliminate them. Don't fall into them. And I think you'll be a lot happier and, uh, and productive writer if you do it that way. I think that's good advice. Those, those are all good mistakes to... to not good mistakes, but those are all mistakes that are, are worth trying to avoid. And I think we're just about running towards the end of time. Um, we, uh, if, if anyone's interested, my name is Eric Miller. I'm one of the co-hosts here of the Writer's Tricks of the Trade, and my website is venicedude.com, as in Venice Beach, venicedude.com. And uh, I'm Working, I've been on two writers' retreats in the last three weeks, one to Sedona, Arizona, and one to Palm Desert, furiously working on the sequel to uh, a novel that came out in 2013. Morgan, how about you? Where can people find out more about you? Well, I'm I'm going to steal a few minutes here before I even give that information, or maybe I'll give the information and then I'll say it. Uh, my website <laughs> is www dot morgan st james that s t j a m e s dash author dot com and the blog ta- tab on that um, site has links to all of the blogs I keep up but I wanted to add something to what Denny was saying and we do have a few more minutes um, oh, good. another thing is if you can possibly do it and you're at a signing don't just sit behind the desk looking hoping that somebody will come over to you. Um, Last year, Bella Capo and I did a book signing at Barnes & Noble. 
on the book that Denny Griffin and I helped her write, La Bella Mafia. And at first we were just sitting at the table, you know, in front of the entrance, and she was going to give a presentation uh, about an hour after we set our table up. But then we thought, this is crazy. And so what we did is we spelled each other. I would sit behind the desk, and Bella would go walking around the store saying to people, hey, come on over and see my book. I'm going to be giving a presentation. And then she'd come back, and I'd go over. But you can even do that yourself, because if your books are set up on the table, and you're reaching out to people, maybe right as they walk in the door, hey, hi, welcome to Barnes & Noble. My name is so-and-so, and this is my table over here. I'm doing a signing. You make people aware of it, and not only that, but you become more human. You're not somebody who's got this barrier of the table behind you uh, or in front of you and just waiting for people to breach it and, you know, get the courage up to talk to you. Okay, that's one thing. Another thing that I wanted to add, and I'm going to have to try to find this, to put this up on our um, website, either the Writer's Tricks of the Trade website or Writer's Tricks of the Trade radio. There's an author named um, Parnell, and he did the funniest, funniest original song about what if nobody came to your book signing. And I ha- when I used to write columns for examiner.com, I put the link to that on one of my examiner columns. It was presented at a conference, and I just laughed the whole way through. And part of it was, you know, he's sitting there, and here comes a crowd of people, and he thinks, oh, boy, they're all coming over to my table, when actually there's a name author sitting right down from him, and that's where everybody is going, and he's kind of twiddling his <laughs> thumbs. And I mean, the whole thing is hilarious, and I hope I can find the link to it to um, put it up on our site. So, Denny, your turn. Okay, you can find more about me at www.dennisngriffin.biz. That's B-I-Z. Okay. Well, our next show is scheduled two weeks from today, July 22nd. Um, So be sure to check in um, and see what we're going to be talking. Have we picked a topic for that show yet? No, we haven't, actually. Um, Okay. But we will be posting it on the Writer's Tricks on of the website. Trade radio. And let's give that, that link. It's right. HTTP yeah. Writer's Tricks of the Trade radio.blogspot.com. And you can r- find right. rundowns on all our archive podcasts and links to the upcoming shows. And back to you, Eric. <laughs> um, yeah, you'll find the descriptions and, and uh of our past shows and our upcoming shows. And every listing has a direct link to the show on the featured topic. So pick the topics that are of interest to you and listen at your convenience. So with yeah, that, we have I a new page. A, we have a new page a on new, the website too. And I'm not even going to say what it is because if people want to find out, they can visit the website and the page all the way at the right side is brand new. Plus there's a contact oh, form now. Oh, neat. We should maybe do a giveaway for these little trivia questions. We should have little trivia questions on the radio show that then get answered on the blog or something like that, and then we could figure out some sort of giveaway maybe. I don't know. Good suggestion, Eric. I like that. (laughs) Excellent, yes. See, we keep okay, learning. Well, exactly. Well, you know, it's uh, it, it, in this, you know, 
talking about multimedia, it's just like, okay, how do I use my Twitter to feed my Facebook, and how do I use the Facebook to drive sales on Amazon, and how does Pinterest <laughs> fit into all this, you know? So, um, absolutely. So, Okay, well, good night, everyone, and um, I'll uh, listen to you soon. <laughs> yeah, good night, Bye-bye. everyone. <laughs>